Welcome to another episode of the Replant Bootcamp Podcast, the Boots on the Ground podcast for replanters by replanters with your host, Bob Bickford and Jimbo Stewart. Here in the trenches with you doing the gritty and glorious work of replanting dying churches. This podcast is sponsored by 180 Digital, the church website and branding partner you need to help move your church forward. Here we are back at the Bootcamp Replant Bootcamp Roadshow Another Dallas edition here in the true Hilton Hotel, TRU. It's like the mix between contemporary modern art and a dorm room. Yeah. Uh, it's Ikea and Hilton had a baby. Yeah, it's an interesting concept, uh, as you've said in the true before. This is our second podcast, I think, or third podcast in the uh, in the true. The first one... <clears throat> The first one we did was with uh, James Nugent's uh, yep. gathering in South Carolina. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's we right there across from the South Carolina Baptist Convention. Mm-hmm. They have a, a true Hilton as well. We're here still with the Korean Council of Southern Baptist that's headquartered here in Dallas, led by Dr. James Kong. He's invited us to be a part of this Church Revitalization Conference. And man, it's been a blast just to worship with these guys, learn with these guys, hear from them, try Korean food. Yeah. And, and preach with translators. Man, yeah, preach with translators, which is, that's a hard thing to do. It is. I mean, you're doing one sentence or, or maybe a, a couple of sentences and then waiting and thinking ahead. And then you're also trying to be engaging and emotional. So it is a challenge. So here's what I don't know what to do. Where do you look? When the translator's talking, I don't know where I look. Yeah, I don't have to. I'm gonna have to think about that now. When I think, <laughs> I think I'm looking down at my notes, or I'm sometimes I'm looking in the faces to see because because yeah. I'm, I'm you and I are both. Yeah. we gotta have crowd feedback. Yeah, right. So when I'm speaking, I'm looking at the Korean guys, and and most of them speak English pretty well, right? Yeah. So they're listening to us, and then they'll look at us, and then the translator will talk, and they'll look at the translator. Well, I'm watching them yeah. in the face to kind of see, yeah. and then also looking at what's the next sentence that I need yep. to say. So there's a lot going on in those the, like nanoseconds that we're yeah. speaking. In yeah, it's a different kind of communication style for sure. And so for these couple of episodes that we record here, we wanted to do podcast versions of some of the talks that we gave largely because these talks originated from questions they submitted Mm -hmm. to Dr. Kong. We talked to him about questions that these guys are asking in their churches and so that we can work through those. And I was assigned how to reach younger people in your church. And like the next day after I got that assignment and started working on, I wasn't Googling it or anything, but I came across this article from a couple of years ago about this Methodist church that decided to replant, not using any of our strategies at all whatsoever. Their strategy was tell all the old people to stay away for two years. <laughs> Anybody over 60, we need you to just like not exist here for two years while we try to reach younger people. We got we need to track that down to see how that went for them. I don't, I don't expect that. Much. Yeah, I feel like that couldn't, I mean, here's the deal. Maybe they reached a whole bunch of younger people Maybe I don't know. It's there's there's it just doesn't end well. I don't think it's like I think I may have told the story here before. I know I've told you a friend of mine who shoots videos is a videographer, and they were asked to do a, a video promo video for a church, and the the pastor told them to not video the older people, but yeah. just get just get younger people in the video and not the older people. And man, here. We can laugh at those because we're not immediately involved in those. But if I were immediately involved in it, I'd be very sad. Yeah. Because, I mean, it's 
you're missing so much of what church is supposed to be. If if you're intentionally being uni not multi generational, like you're you're yeah. you're intentionally being mono generational. I mean, I think that's a huge mistake. Mm-hmm. I think it's a huge. And and here's the thing: it's it's not just one generation that does that. Right. We have older churches that have kind of chosen to be mono generational and that they only cater. I know of churches that have expressed that, that have, that have said all these other churches are running off of the old people. We're going to be the church for old people. Mm-hmm. Now, that does not lead to a long and prosperous future. It may work out well for a little while and maybe every one of those leave you in their will and you can fund this thing for. But like it's just not a long and, and kingdom minded prosperous future. But I think we see the same mistake made by church planters sometimes, mm-hmm. or even replanters that tell people over 60 to stay away for two years. Yeah, well, I was part of uh, a nationally known church planting network, a church that was part of that. And one of the things they used to always say when they got together was, we need more people with gray hair. Yeah. Right. And so, you know how an older church would, mono generational older church, when a young person shows up, like they get swarmed. Same thing with these church plants. They were all young people and they were all trying to figure out life and they needed some grandparents. They needed some people with life experience and gray hair. So I think that really, really highlights the, the biblical pattern for a church is multi generational. Yeah. So let's say you're in a mono generational older church, which really was the heartbeat of the question. So you shared some thoughts with them about how does a church become younger, how, meaning not not to flip its emphasis to be only younger, right? but how to be intergenerational and what are the steps a, a, a replanter could take, church could take that's like mono generational in the older section yeah. of the life yeah. So I think primarily, just in my observation, there are three bad approaches. I want to cover those first. Okay. And then we'll get to the biblical approach, or at least what I believe is the biblical approach. So bad approach number one, you center all preferential decisions in the church culture on one generation, yep. which we've kind of just talked about. You, you you take, whether intentional or subconscious, you take a mono-generational approach. Yes. Yeah, so like Wednesday night supper, salmon cakes and boiled cabbage. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that'd be rough. That's a mono-generational. That's mono-generational, okay. right? So, so we've talked about how you can do that if you're just focused on young people and you tell all the old people to go away, or if you're just focused on older generation. Bad approach number two, you hire a new young pastor and you place the expectation of reaching young people solely on his shoulders. Because... That's the secret to turning a church around oh, is hiring the right you new younger pastor, right? It's it sure seems that's what a lot of people think. <laughs> the problem is they hire this young guy and then they don't let him change anything. And they kill him and he wants to get out of ministry. <laughs> I mean, like, and then everything he tries to change, they say no. I know. And so that's a bad approach. Bad approach number three. Create segmented programming where everyone get what's what's what they want and no one has to sacrifice their generational preferences. Yeah, I mean that just leads to the, the majority of the folks, and here's what I've heard, we're the older folks and we pay the bills around here. So this yep. is the way it's going to go. Oh, yeah. that's that's They pull the purse strings yeah. and they demand that. Well, so you got to let us do what we want. We'll let the, look. That's why we create the youth building across the parking lot. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> so they can turn their music up as loud as they want and they can do their thing and we don't have to have anything to do with them. But come Sunday morning, because here, here's part of, there's several reasons why this approach doesn't work. One of them is at some point we're all in the same room, hopefully. Now, I, there are some churches that don't do that. There mm-hmm. are some churches that, I mean, so segment this that like youth have their own Sunday morning church, kids have their own Sunday morning church, senior adults have their own service, and then there's the blended service, and, and nobody has to give up yeah. anything. Yeah. Well, here's the problem. That's not how Christianity works, Yeah. right? It's This is not, the goal here is not how to most efficiently make sure no one has to die to self. <laughs> I love that. That's, we need a t-shirt with that. That's not the goal. So the, the gospel calls us to die to ourselves, to put the interest of others above ourselves, to outdo one another in showing honor, to, to love each other with all humility, to make every effort to maintain the unity of the gospel. I mean, it's, you could quote scripture for days on this. Like I thought you were going to right there for a minute. This is a big deal. This is a big deal in the Bible that we are unified in Christ. And so in the role that we have with the North American Mission Board, we get to learn from a lot of guys who lead church revitalization all across the country. And so I was talking about that with a pastor friend of mine the other day. And he said, because he was asking me how I love my role. And I said, that's one of the reasons I like it. I'm really getting to dive deep into church revitalization and learn from a lot of different people. And he said, what are the patterns? What do you see? Mm-hmm. And I said, I'm going to tell you, man, I really think this mono-generational thing mm-hmm. is one of the major contributing factors to declining churches. Mm-hmm. And so he asked me, what do you think the solution to that is? And I said, I really think it's multi-generational discipleship relationships. Mm-hmm. And here, But I want to be really careful that you don't hear me say what I'm not saying. I am not saying, so after my talk today, one of the pastors came to me, the Korean pastors came to me and said, so we have age grouped small groups. Should we not do that? Should we have multi-generational small groups? And I said, it doesn't really matter. You can do multi-generational small groups. You can do age groups, small groups, whatever's going to work for you in that. But small groups by themselves are not discipleship. So I'm not, I'm not even specifically talking programming when I say this. I'm more talking about being in each other's lives. Mm-hmm. Right. And and so the passage, I kind of take this bit. So I would say the biblical approach, in my opinion, is we need to increase affection for each other and understanding of each other through generational, multi-generational discipleship. Mm-hmm. Building. So empathy is built through proximity. Mm-hmm. And I think this is one of the issues w- between racial tension. I think this is one of the issues in all sorts of cultural tension is we we create this us versus them and mentality. And so we, we treat people as a collective group of people rather than an individual because we don't really know them that well. And so it's easy to get frustrated at whoever them is. And if, if them is younger people and we don't spend any time truly investing in them, we're not going to have affection for them. Yeah, when we third party somebody, when we use the word they, mm, third they, party somebody, I like that. Yeah, when we when we use those words, it it puts a barrier in between us that precludes that welcomes bias and precludes any interaction that would overcome the knowledge of are they okay? So we do it in politics, we do it in generations, yeah. we do it you know in ethnic groups and all those sorts of things. And one of the, one of the most, one of my favorite pictures from our replant was Dottie, and I've talked about her before. Dottie was is now she's I guess ninety six. And little Anna Grace at the time was probably maybe, and there's a picture of them worshiping together and 
Dottie has her arm on Anna Grace's shoulder, and little Anna Grace has got her arm around Dottie's back. Mm. And they're just they're singing together, they're worshiping together. And her mom put that on Facebook and said, This is why I love my church. Mm. Right. And so I think that's the thing that we we miss when we third party somebody. Now, can we just sit on we need to honestly say there are cranky people in the church of all ages. Yes. Right. And there are hard to get along with people in all age groups. There are EGRs, extra grace required folks. And, and so let's not assign that let's not assign all the difficulty to one generation, yeah. either young or old. But let's realize that if we sit down and actually get to hear faith stories and you know, a couple episodes back, Johnny Rombo was talking about listening to Jesus stories. How'd you meet Jesus? Yes. Sit down and do that intergenerationally. I think what will happen is there'll be a warm, there'll be a, a greatly warmed affection for people across generational lines. Yeah, and that's the key, man. And so I see it in First Thessalonians chapter two. You started started verse three. For our exhortation didn't come from error or impurity or an intent to deceive. Instead, just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not to please people, but rather God who examines our hearts. So a couple of points out of this, I would say, is one, I remember that we have been entrusted by God with the gospel, and it is imperative that we pass it on to the next generation, but also that we examine our hearts and what is our motivation. Mm -hmm. Because I think sometimes when older churches say we need young people, it's sometimes. It's not that they care about younger people or not that they don't care, but it's more, the motivation is more, my church is going to die. And so I need younger people so this church can continue to live. Mm -hmm. But I I don't want to change anything about the way we do things, right? So I just need you to come. And I see this even in multicultural situations when people go, you know, yeah, I understand that most people around here are not the same ethnicity or culture or socioeconomic status as me and the way that we've done things. But they're all welcome here as long as they worship like we do, Mm -hmm. as long as they do things the way we, I mean, it's it's not that I have a problem with them being here. I have a problem with them changing any of my preferences. Mm -hmm. And that's not a biblical approach. So we have to examine our hearts. I mean, Psalm 145 says one generation will declare your works to the next, right? We, it's our job to proclaim the, the, the gospel and carry it on to others. So we have to be careful not to value our personal preferences over the purpose that God has given us. If you continue in 1 Thessalonians, it says um, in verses 7 and 8, it says, although we could have been a burden as Christ apostles. So he's saying, we were Christ apostles, we could have been asking you for money, we could have we could have burdened you with what we need. We could have done that, but instead we were gentle among you. Now I didn't go into this part in my talk, but that really struck me like he's saying as apostles, because of my office, because of what my leadership in the church, I could be a burden to you. Mm-hmm. But I chose to be gentle and care for you. And I think if the older the older generation, monogenerational church that's saying, how do we reach younger people? I think read that passage. I could be a burden to you. But instead, I want to be gentle. You keep reading. It says, as a nurse nurtures her own children, we cared so much for you that we were pleased to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives. 
because you had become dear to us. Yeah, I, I totally agree. When I was having a conversation yesterday about worship and, and the difficulties across generations in, in worship. And one of the things I used to say as a youth pastor, so I, I a pastor, a youth, was a youth pastor at a church that was a real formal pipe organ and handbells and choir robes, you know, kind of a church. And so we, our youth ministry was growing. It was right during passion and like, you know, passion music just was exploding. So our kids, that's what we, we had a great college band. It was awesome. And we did all the songs. They would not walk across the street and go to church because they didn't like it. <laughs> it was like, we're not doing it. And I was trying to explain this to our, our staff team. And I was saying, okay, you know, guys, they're, they're really, it's all the music is monogenerational here. And the way you speak about our music is negative. Mm. Right. And I remember the, the youth, uh, the worship leader said, well, we're going to do sacred music here. Right. As if the passion music was of a different lower class. Hmm. And I just said, you know, here's what I know. Everybody who's in the older generations, they've been in church for decades. They've had worship music how they've wanted it forever. And these young kids haven't. Could we at least find some way where we could do something to honor both generations, right? And I think it's not only music, but it's you know, the style, it's the way to make decisions, it's the, you know, the decor, it's, you know, all sorts of things. And I think if the older generations really, and I think where your talk was, where the, the launching board for your talk was, how does an older generation person need to respond to a younger generation? And then the passage you talked about is you, you draw them near to you and you give them what will give them life and help them mature and grow, right? So I think if our older generations can figure that out, and our younger generations can be patient and respond to that and realize that, that we don't have to be at war with one another. We might see some good progress. There's a guy at the replant that I pastored named Buddy. And Buddy was a charter member of the church. Mm. He was a little kid when they planted the church 60-something years ago. And his family didn't go to church, but they would come pick him up on the van and he would come. And he went into the military, did service, traveled a little bit for business. But then when he moved back to Jacksonville, he came back to that church. And Buddy, to this day, is one of the most encouraging. I mean, he would regularly take me to, to breakfast, to lunch, to coffee. He, he knew that I liked like uh, pour over coffee and not just, you know, diner coffee. And so he said, man, I, I want to try it. He, he, he came to me and said, I want to go to one of your coffee shops. And I want to try your coffee. And I've got a picture that I look at every once in a while. It makes me so happy. It's me and Buddy sitting at Vagabond Coffee in Murray Hill in Jacksonville, where we both got pour overs, and he loved it. Cool. But here's the deal. Because Buddy always invested in me like that, when I did fall short on leadership, which happens from time to time, he had my ear, and he could say it to me in a loving way. He would say, hey, Pastor, you're doing such a great job. There's some things that I think you need to consider how this may be harder for some of us than you think it is. Mm. And he would lovingly and gently, I mean, I can't tell you how much Buddy still means to me mm -hmm. because he lived out this, that he cared so much for me that he was pleased not just to share the gospel with me, but his life. Mm -hmm. And that discipled me, that helped me grow. Look, I think we, this is a whole other podcast of what is discipleship. I think there is programmatic discipleship, and I, I think that's a good and benefit. We need to be systematic in, in some of our approaches so that we know we're teaching the right things. But I think another part of discipleship literally is just sharing life. Mm -hmm. It's just having coffee, having lunch, having dinner, 
hanging out, spending time, going to the store together, doing those things. And what happens is as we build that proximity and empathy for each other, it changes the way we make decisions. It changes the way we view things. Mm -hmm. And it moves us from this multi-generational, generational differences can feel like a competition. It feel we third party each other. I like that phrasing. We third party each other. It becomes us versus them. And now when we're making decisions, we come in on the on the defense rather than on how do we love each other, honor each other, and serve the purpose. The, the question doesn't become, hey, what serves the purpose God has given this church in this moment best? But the question becomes, how do I not lose this battle? Mm-hmm. Yeah, get what, how do I retain what I want? How do I retain or how do I get what I want? We're going to battle. I don't want to lose what I love so much. And I think, and let, listen, I'm not talking about, I don't I don't care what your music is or what kind. It's the heart posture. And that that's probably going to lead to changes in how you do music. And it's probably going to lead to changes in how you make decisions. But I think it has to start with what we see in First Thessalonians. It has to start with, I care so much about you that I not only share the gospel with you, but my life. And as you get to know me and I get to know you, now instead of a third party, when I make a decision that is going to be hard for you, your face comes in my brain. And I think, how's that going to go for Bob? And everybody's thinking about everybody else at that point, right? He's right. Done the good work. So the young people are thinking about, how's this affect the older people? And the older people are thinking, how's this affect the younger people? So we get somewhere into a decision that, may not be a fit everyone's preference, but is beneficial for all. Right? Yeah. And I think that's the, the, the we have, we're, we're such a westernized individualistic culture that we, we fight for our preferences and we don't collaboratively say what's beneficial. So we see this, we see this in our politics, we see this in churches that battle with decisions and those sorts of things. So I, I love the, the explanations that you've given there that really talk about the reason why we move towards one another is so that we are more easily able to submit to one another's needs out mm-hmm. of love. Yeah. I mean, that's, isn't that what it talks about in Ephesians, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. The idea yeah, submit is one to another. submit one to another. Mm-hmm. And, and that's what, look, when Jesus said in John 13 that the world will know you're my disciples by how you love each other, like this is the kind of stuff he's talking about. He, he was telling the truth. <laughs> like this, this is, the, look, he didn't say they'll know you're my disciples because you go to church and you tithe and... No, he said, by the way, you love each other. And so you got to think, he's not saying like, oh, it's just like, hey, man, I love you. It's demonstrated love through sacrificial action. Mm-hmm. And in a way that the world sees that and goes, well, this doesn't make any sense. Why are they doing that? Mm-hmm. I, I remember the first time, it happened actually several times, some younger, like early 20s young ladies came and said, hey, are you okay if we go to the senior ladies Bible study group instead of the young adults. Mm-hmm. I was like, well, yeah. I was like, well, why? Why do you want to do that? Well, I was for it. But I just wanted to hear their reason. And they said, we just feel like we have a lot to learn from them. Mm-hmm. And so these young ladies started attending the senior ladies, st- and then out of that, they they started setting up the, these little tea parties where they would assign a senior adult lady to a younger lady or a youth girl. And they would have these tables. And like, it was amazing just to see this multi-generational relationship stuff happen around these little tea parties that they had. And this, this it wasn't just a women's event just to have a women's event. It was trying to create this First Thessalonians, I care for you so much, so much. 
that don't just share the gospel with you. I don't just go to the same church as you. I don't just believe in the same Jesus as you, but I care about you so much that I'm letting you into my life and I'm getting into yours. And now because of that care, I'm going to sacrificially serve you and you're going to sacrificially serve me. And we're going to get, we're going to get away from this competition, third party mindset. So good. I I love what you're, you're driving at. And I think if churches can find ways to do that, it would be so beneficial for them as they look towards their future of creating, uh, multi-generational thank you for listening to this episode of the replant Bootcamp podcast a resource for replanters by replanters if you enjoyed this episode or found it to be helpful for you and your ministry please help us get the word out by subscribing sharing and leaving us a review on your favorite podcast listening platform this podcast is sponsored by 180 digital 180 digital is a team of design development and marketing experts that love working with churches big and small check out 180 church o-n-e-e-i-g-h-t-y dot church to learn more about how 180 can help your church move forward